let's pray together. Will you bow with me, please, on this glorious Easter, Easter day, the day we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Father, we just pause to rejoice and thank you for the miracle of the resurrection, the event that, that divided history in half and gave us an opportunity to be forgiven for our sins that we might have Jesus in our hearts now and live with you forever in heaven. Father, I pray that you speak to each one of us. If we've been a Christian for many years or if we have never thought about inviting Jesus into our heart, let this be a day of of consecration and commitment. Speak to us wherever we are. And Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't have forgiveness of sins and, and for whom you aren't living in their heart, let this be the hour of decision where they come to that point in their lives, confessing sin, professing faith, Believing in their heart and letting Jesus be Lord. We are here to worship you and we celebrate, we thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago that means everything to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We don't go to an idol, but we serve a living Savior. Please stand as we sing hymn number 533, He Lives, He Lives.
Will you take your worship bulletins now and read responsibly with me the reading that is found therein? Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus has come that we may have life and have it to the fullest. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Hallelujah! Christ is risen. Hallelujah.
The message this morning is entitled, It Was For You, and the scripture and the outline is on the back of your worship bulletin. Luke 24, verses 1 through 11 is the passage. The message will be in four parts this morning, so when I finish the first part, don't think we're done. (laughs) It was for you, Jesus died. Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Shall we pray? Father, we've heard the message of the resurrection so often. Help us this day to open our hearts to new dimensions of it and receive it more fully in its its beautiful and glorious truth. Let it touch us and change us and shape us into the image you created us to be, sons and daughters of God. In your name we pray. Amen. The conversation took place between a Bible professor and one of his students who had just returned from an Easter break. She said, Professor, our preacher said on Easter that Jesus just swooned on the cross and his disciples nursed him back to health in the coolness of the empty tomb. How do you respond to that? What do you think about that? And the wise professor thought for a moment and replied, I'll tell you what you do, he said, next time you're home, take your preacher out and beat him 39 times with a cat of nine tails. After that, nail him to a cross and hang him up in the afternoon sun for six hours. While he's hanging there, drive a spear through his heart. When he's been pronounced dead by professional Roman soldiers, take him down and wrap him up in a sheet and abandon him in a tomb for three days. And see how he feels after that. You see, at the very heart of our belief, friends, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified. He was dead and buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. If we don't believe that, if we cannot believe that, then we have nothing. The crucifixion of our Lord makes us different from all other religions the world has ever seen or ever will. Because no other religious leader ever lived or died and lived again. But Jesus' death on the cross is not a pleasant one. In fact, a lot of preachers refrain from even mentioning it because research today shows that the cross is not a popular topic with people. That shouldn't be surprising because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that 
The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But if you're perishing, it seems like foolishness, and you don't want to hear about the cross. I read recently that the cross is the most desirable item of jewelry in a woman's wardrobe. You see the irony of that? The gold cross is a desirable thing to wear around our necks, but the cross on which our Lord died is not something we want to hear about or talk about very often. Hitler didn't think much about the cross either. One of his goals in the Third Reich was to replace the crosses in every church in Europe with swastikas. That made me think that maybe it's the evil within us, the sin within us, that finds the cross so repulsive. That makes sense because it was for our sins that Jesus died on the cross. You know, there are people today who argue that the death penalty is cruel and unusual punishment. The reality is that the death penalty today involves very little physical pain, but that was not the case 2,000 years ago. As a matter of fact, the Romans used to sit around and brainstorm about what would be the most painful, the most excruciating method of putting someone to death, the most humiliating way that we can use as a deterrent in our empire. They came up with the crucifixion, and there was no more shame-filled punishment No more painful form of death than that. The victim was forced to lie down between two rough-hewn crossbeams, and nails were driven through their wrists and ankles. Then the cross was raised, and it was slammed down into the hole. It ripped the tendons in the victim's shoulders, often dislocating them, tearing flesh, causing excruciating pain to a scourged and weakened body. The unnatural position of hanging there just prolonged the agony of the moment. Lacerated veins and crushed tendons throbbed with incessant pain. And ultimately, the victim would die of asphyxiation because hanging there, the lungs were crushed. And the only way to breathe would be either to push up with your legs or pull down with your arms to give the chest enough room for the lungs to expand and breathe. The wounds inflamed by exposure to filth and germs became gangrenous. The arteries of the head swelled with surcharged blood and provided pulsating agony. And there was a burning, raging thirst provoked by the heat of the afternoon sun. And after a while, if the victim managed to survive all that and the soldiers got bored, the soldiers would take clubs and break the legs of the crucified in order to prevent them from pushing up with their legs in order to breathe. And eventually they would hasten their death. It says in John 19, 33, that the soldiers did break the legs of the two criminals that were crucified alongside Jesus. But Jesus' legs were not broken because when the soldiers checked him, he was already dead. Roman soldiers assigned to cross patrol were usually being punished for something. Their mission was so disgusting that they were given strong drinks in order to dull their own senses. And that was the drink that they offered to Jesus as he hung there. Some of them actually had compassion on him. In spite of all these precautions, though, the Roman soldiers often became nauseated as they carried out their disgusting assignments. And they often had nightmares for days as they recounted the horror of what they had seen and had been forced to do. 
The scriptures tell us that Jesus hung in that company for six hours from the third hour until the ninth. On our calendar, that would be from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And as he was hanging there, he was thinking about us and suffering for us until the time when he breathed his last and uttered, It is finished.
I want us to recapture the mood of the women who trudged up the pathway to the place where they had seen Jesus entombed on Friday evening. They expected Jesus to be there just as they left him three days earlier. Dead, lifeless, hopeless. They went to the tomb on Sunday morning not to celebrate a risen Lord, but to anoint the dead body of a friend whose life had been given on a cruel cross. And when they got to the tomb, they were wondering among among themselves who of them would be strong enough to roll the boulder away that was sealing it so they could get into the tomb to do the anointing. Jesus was dead, and that was the Jesus they expected to find. It's important for us to know that Jesus really was dead and buried. But over the centuries, people have tried to come up with alternative theories to explain away the empty tomb. Some actually say that women simply went to the wrong tomb. It was getting late on Friday evening when they buried him, and it was still hazy Sunday morning when they arrived. And they went to the wrong tomb, and a young man met them near the place where they thought Jesus had been buried. And he was trying to be helpful, just gardening there in the cemetery. And he said, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, aren't you? He is not here. Behold, over there is the place where he lay, pointing to the right tomb. The women must have misunderstood what he was saying, and so they departed with a report that an angel had told them that Jesus had been raised. That's the first alternative theory, far-fetched though it may be. The second one is that Jesus' disciples, in an effort to perpetuate the lie, simply came earlier that morning and stole away Jesus' body and hid it elsewhere. Then they went out and announced to the world that Jesus had been raised from the dead, all the while knowing that his body had been hidden in another grave. Still others have suggested that Jesus was not really dead when they took him down from the cross, such as the young lady who went back to school after her Easter break. But lying there in the coolness of the empty tomb, he swooned. It's called the swoon theory. And in that tomb and the coolness and dampness and all those aromatic spices surrounding him, he revived somehow and managed to get up and push away the stone that was blocking his exit and sneaked off into the darkness without being noticed by the Roman soldiers who had been posted there upon pain of death if anything happened under their guard. I give you those suggestions that have presented, been presented over the years to show how preposterous any alternative theory really is. As a matter of fact, I think it takes more faith to explain away the resurrection than to believe in it. After all, if the women had gone to the wrong tomb, would not Jesus' enemies have taken them to the right tomb and disproven the claim that Jesus was alive? And if the disciples had stolen the body and made all this up about Jesus... Would they really have given their lives for something they know to be a lie? And to believe that Jesus went through the scourging and crucifixion and survived all that, and then in the empty tomb somehow managed to revive himself and push the stone away and convince the disciples that he had returned from the dead, well, you see how far-fetched that is. The truth is, friends, he was dead. And buried. 
in the tomb for three days.
Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the third day of the week, at dawn, women came to the grave where Jesus had been laid to anoint Jesus' body with spices so that he might have a proper Jewish burial that was not allowed on Friday evening because the Sabbath had begun and anointing a body for burial constituted work on the Sabbath. So they did what preliminary preparations they could make Friday afternoon and then returned Sunday morning to complete it. When they got to the tomb, they found the stone had been rolled away and when they went in, they found the body was gone. Two men in dazzling apparel appeared before them, angels. The women's eyes widened, their stomachs turned, and they fell on their faces. The angels said to them in verses 6 through 7 of our text this morning, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen, just as he said. Remember? Remember back in Galilee when he said that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men? And be crucified and on the third day rise. Do you remember when he said that back in Galilee? And the women remembered and things began to fit. And they believed and they went to tell the others. But when they told the others, the disciples could not believe them. It was too fantastic a story. Would you have? After all, people don't just get up out of the grave and come back from the dead every day, do they? Maybe after a few minutes, a doctor can resuscitate one or two, but not after three days. 
They had him dead, buried, sealed, guarded, and everything cleaned up. But God asks us to take another look and says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Because if Jesus' life had been over on Good Friday, if the cross had been the end of it, as everyone expected, we would call Jesus a good man, a wise man, a righteous man, perhaps even a prophet. And we would go back to living our miserable lives here on earth with business as usual. But that was not all. The resurrected Jesus started appearing to people and that changed everything. He appeared to the women that morning and then to the disciples later on that Sunday afternoon who were still hiding behind locked doors for fear of the authorities. He appeared to two followers on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to Peter and the disciples on the seashore and even cooked them breakfast while they were fishing. And then he appeared to 500 at one time. Some people said it must have been an hallucination, but 500 people don't have the same hallucination. Finally, Paul writes, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to him, the persecutor of Christians named Saul on the road to Damascus. The resurrection appearances of Jesus turned a defeated, dismayed, discouraged, grief-stricken bunch of disciples into a band of Easter believers that it says in the book of Acts went out and turned the world upside down. And we still haven't heard the end of it. The resurrected Jesus changed the day of worship from the Sabbath on Friday evening to Saturday evening to Sunday morning to commemorate the glorious resurrection. On that day, 2,000 years ago, everything changed. B.C. to A.D. And nothing can explain it except the resurrection of the Son of God.
We had a professor in seminary who asked a thought-provoking question one day in class. I think we all missed it. He asked, who killed Jesus? And we spent the rest of the class time debating over whether it was the Jewish religious leaders or the Roman soldiers who were responsible. And I'm afraid we missed the point completely. Who was it that killed Jesus? The painful truth is, it was you and I. It was you and I that killed Jesus. Because the Roman soldiers and the Jewish religious leaders could have done nothing to Jesus had he not allowed it. He was in complete control from the moment of his arrest to when they were nailing him on the cross to his death. He could have called 10,000 angels and slain the soldiers and, and those who were standing around the foot of the cross mocking him. He could have come down from that cross any time he so desired. But he allowed his suffering and death to pay the penalty for our sins. He did it for our sake. And so it was we who put him there. So when you see a picture of the cross and gathered around the foot of it, you customarily see the Roman soldiers and the, and the Jewish crowd mocking and spitting at him. I want you to modify that a little bit in your mind. Add pictures of you and me standing there too. Pictures of you and me holding the hammer and the nails which put him there. Who was it responsible for the death of Jesus? It was we. Our sins for which he died. A little boy and his father were driving down a country road on a beautiful spring afternoon. The windows were down and suddenly out of nowhere a bumblebee flew into the car window. And the little boy was deathly allergic to bee stings and so he was terrified, but the father quickly reached out and grabbed the bee in his hand and squeezed it and then released it. As soon as he let it go, his young son became frantic once again. It started buzzing around the boy. And his father saw his panic-stricken face. And so once again, his father reached out his hand, but this time he pointed to it. And there, stuck in the skin, was the stinger of the bee. And his father said, do you see this? He said to his son, you don't need to be afraid anymore because I've taken the stinger for you. And that, my friends, is the whole message of Easter. We don't have anything to fear. Death has no power over us anymore because Jesus faced death for us. And by his victory, we are saved from our sins. We can have abundant life with Jesus now here on earth and eternal life to look forward to in heaven. That's why 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57 says, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is raised from the dead. He is alive forevermore. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And friends, He is coming again. And the time is short that we have to get ready to prepare ourselves and to prepare those with whom we come into contact to tell the truth of the resurrection, to share the story of the gospel, to invite folks to come to faith in Jesus Christ and have their sins forgiven, to have a Lord of their life. 
guiding them, sustaining them, providing for them. That's why he left us here. This he did for you and for me. Hallelujah. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, we are overwhelmed when we think about what you did for us. You created us. You desired fellowship with us. But we chose, instead of a relationship with you, we chose sin. And a penalty had to be paid for that sin. A penalty we could never pay. And so you sent your son, the only sinless one who had no sins of his own to atone for. To take upon himself the sins of the world. And hanging on the cross said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because in that moment of the transaction, all alone, he bore the weight of our sins on his shoulders. And bowed his head, breathed his last, and said, it is finished. The payment is complete, paid in full. Buried in a tomb. Three days later, rose from the dead and is alive and lives within us today. Father, if anyone within the sound of my voice in this sanctuary or by television has never experienced that transaction that, believe, that believes in you and has invited Jesus into their heart, I pray today, this Easter Sunday, will be that, that precious moment. Their sins will be forgiven and they'll have a Lord for whom to live the rest of their life here and eternal life in heaven. Father, move among us. Bring us to conviction. Bring us to salvation. Bring us to renewed commitment to you because of what you've done for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Our invitational hymn this morning is number 407, Because He Lives. It changes everything because He lives. And we invite you to respond in saving faith to Jesus today. Professing your faith, rededicating your life, joining this church, whatever decision you have to make, I'll be at the front to receive you with joy as we celebrate our risen Lord and sing his praises. Because he lives, number 407, I'll be at the front to receive you. Let's stand together.
mention this when making a decision public this morning. Katie Rowe. Katie, come and stand with me, please. Katie invited Jesus into her heart last Saturday night, March 31st, after the Greater Vision Gospel Concert. One of the uh, gentlemen who was singing asked the question, Which, what part of your heart have you not turned over to Jesus? And Katie realized that it was time for her to invite Jesus into her heart and be saved. And so she went home that evening and prayed and invited Jesus in, and he came in, and he gloriously saved her, and he is living in her heart now, and, and she has the promise of the resurrection because of Easter Sunday. If you join with me in, in rejoicing in Katie's decision and welcoming her into our church fellowship, would you let it be known by saying amen? Amen. Katie is so serious about this. She wrote a journal, and she typed it up, and it talks about talked about what how it happened. She kept it, she kept notes about what she did and, and what Jesus did for her, and um, she's going to keep that as as a reminder of what Jesus has done for her. I'm going to let Katie have a seat right here, and after our service, you come by and speak to her, and I'm going to get Tony and Lori down here to stand with her. And uh, we'll celebrate Easter Sunday and, and what the resurrection means for Katie especially and for all of us this day. John Fair is going to have our offertory prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to come into your house. Your name is great and majestic and worthy to be praised. We just thank you for all that you have given us, particularly as we celebrate this Easter season, Jesus' death, but his resurrection. You have given us life. You've given us everything that we have, all that we are. You're not interested in the 10% but you're interested in the whole. Convict us, help us to give you our all. In your son's name I pray, amen.
Will you stand with me and join hands for the benediction? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I'll go forth from this place in the